Welcome to the Space Hour, a show to highlight the people in the aerospace industry behind the newest technologies used for exploration and national security. Here's your host, Eric White. Hello there, and welcome to today's episode of the Space Hour. I'm Eric White. One of the biggest arenas for growth in the commercial space field is within the intelligence community. A main driver of that has been J.P. Parker, who is space executive with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. The relatively new position is to help bridge the gap between the IC and its industry partners. We begin by discussing how space policy is now playing a bigger role when it comes to decision making for policymakers. So I'm J.P. Parker. I'm the intelligence community space executive. Um, it's a relatively new role and a new position at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. And for those who don't know, the DNI was the office that was stood up after 9-11 to integrate the activities of the intelligence community, make sure we don't have intelligence failures, and present a unified uh, front to the policymaking community. The intelligence community is, was 17 members until relatively recently. Something we'll talk about today is the addition of the 18th member of the United States Space Force. So the 18 members of the intelligence community are overseen and managed by the director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, who took over here in January with the new administration. And part of what's going on is a push to create a much larger national profile for the role of space in America's well-being. And so we created the role of the space executive, and we had a role previously called the national intelligence manager. The national intelligence manager focuses our collection activities so that we can collect uh, intelligence about foreign adversaries and specifically what they may be trying to do to us in space. But the creation of the space executive was designed to have a much broader policy-centric view. And so I take into account pretty much all the functions that the intelligence community uh, has to do in space, including governance, operations, analysis, collection, policy, and acquisition. So the the intelligence community has a lot of those functions related to space, and I oversee them for the DNI, and I'm the DNI's principal advisor on space policy matters that affect the intelligence community. Yeah, space policy is creeping its way into a lot of agencies' activities, uh, especially you know, national defense, uh, technology, and research. Um, how has it kind of impacted what uh, the nation's national security plans are? Impacted it in a big way. I will tell you that um, I'm really thrilled to be working on space because space has received such prominence in the last few years. Uh, it's gone from a very critical national security issue to what I think is a whole of government issue. It transcends beyond the traditional confines of the Department of Defense and the intelligence community. Um, in the last five years, what I think people are starting to realize is that our entire way of life uh, depends on space. And so if you look at what's happened, we've had the uh, prior administration recreate the National Space Council. Um, the National Space Council was chaired and will continue to be chaired by the vice president. And that elevates its stature and importance in the community so that it's no longer just a national security issue. It is a whole of government issue. And so the role of the Space Council is to bring all the cabinet level agencies together to talk about the importance of space and figure out what America's national interests are and what to do about it. And then when you add commercial, and we're going to talk today uh, about the uh, role of commercial activity in space and how industry is a game changer in what's going on in space, then I would argue that space to the United States is a national level issue, a whole of nation issue, not just a whole of government issue. And so we have extensive outreach to private industry because of what they're doing in space. 
And I think it's been a game changer for not only our economic power in the United States, but it will continue to be so from a national security standpoint. If you look at what's happened uh, additionally in the last couple of years, we in 2019 decided to elevate space in the Department of Defense by creating a United States Space Command. This is the newest, what they call geographic combatant command. And in the way the Department of Defense is organized, there are military services that create forces, and then there are combatant commanders who use those forces if we have to defend our interests. And so we created the first new space command in quite a while, in 2019. And then the military service that would have traditionally supported U.S. Space Command was the Air Force. And the Air Force has a lot of our DOD space uh, components within it. But the president and Congress ultimately decided to create the newest military service in over 70 years. And so we created the United States Space Force at the end of 2020, or maybe it was the end of 2019. So much has been happening, it's hard to keep track of, quite frankly. And then finally, we ended 2020 on kind of a high note when we revised the national space policy of the United States for the first time in over a decade. Um, and I, from the intelligence community standpoint, what was key about that is it's the first time national policy has recognized in a written document that it, uh, space is a priority intelligence domain. And that's a, tr that's a signal to not only the intelligence community, but the national security writ large that the administration uh, wants additional focus on space and making space a priority is almost certainly my number one job within the intelligence community. Can you talk a little bit about, were you and some of your colleagues behind that push to kind of get space a little bit more out there in the intelligence community forefront? Uh, or was it something that, you know, was going to happen regardless because, it, as you mentioned, everything is going that way? No, you know, that's a great question, Eric. And I think um, part of what we're doing here today, you and I, is talking about things that are traditionally not in the public sphere. And so part of what we've had to do over the last few years is educate and come a little bit out of the dark to uh, have people understand the role of space to the intelligence community. A lot of that stuff has been and remains highly classified, but the fact that the United States and its intelligence community uses space as a very practical domain of operations is something we need to educate people on. And so in, in talking to the White House and talking to our interagency colleagues as we work through the national space policy, the other thing that you will see in that policy document is that with, with regard to national security, the intelligence community is considered now co-equal to the Department of Defense. We both operate space fleets. The one that has gotten the attention in the public sphere over the last two or three years is the creation of the United States Space Force. But the intelligence community operates a space fleet comparable to the Department of Defense. And so that was part of the education process that we did with our colleagues in the interagency. And now we're starting to do with the public. We're speaking with J.P. Parker. He's the intelligence community space executive of the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Of those federal colleagues, I'm imagining a lot of collaborations with other agencies. Can you talk a little bit about which ones you know, that you're working with and which ones you value the most now in your position? Collaboration is, it runs through our veins. It's in our lifeblood. And I would tell you that the intelligence community itself is organized a little differently than a lot of other agencies and departments are. So basically the DNI is the hub of a network. And I mentioned before that we now have 18 organizations that constitute the US intelligence community. But we are not arranged in a hierarchical department-like fashion. 
And so I think for people in the federal workforce or maybe outside the federal government who, who think in hierarchy terms, uh, the intelligence community is a very flat network, very much built on the idea of diversity, bringing different skills, different approaches, different trade craft, and then working together as a collaborative network to solve problems. And so my office is structured exactly like the larger intelligence community. We're a small office advising the DNI, but all the work that we do takes place through collaboration with other organizations. So my primary customers, other than the DNI, who we advise on space policy matters, we're the one-stop shop in the intelligence community for the White House and Congress to understand how something will affect the intelligence community. And then our key partners, I mentioned them before, but we spend a lot of time interacting with DOD. We operate a space fleet, they operate a space fleet, and there's a lot of joint collaborative activities that we can do together, and so we do. We share technical data, we share programs, we share requirements, we move money back and forth in order to address joint requirements. And so our relationship and our partnership with DOD is a huge proportion of what I do uh, because their role in the national security space community is equivalent to ours and we have to be partners if for no other reason than to present a seamless and unified face to our adversaries who are looking to exploit gaps and weaknesses uh, throughout the federal government. We, other, we also interact extensively with what we call the other big five. In addition to ODNI, there's the National Reconnaissance Office, National Security Agency, CIA, and NGA, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Those are our, our shareholder partners in the space enterprise. We talk to each other constantly. And frankly, most of the work that comes to ODNI in terms of space policy, we turn to our partners for help because the subject matter expertise isn't just at headquarters. It's mostly resident in our partner agencies in the work that they're doing. And so we, we create that network and we bring that subject matter expertise up so the White House and Congress can get the benefit of the best of the intelligence community. I would tell you that over the last um, two years, three years, we've had a lot more work with the Department of Homeland Security because of the fact that space is becoming a critical infrastructure element in our national fabric. Uh, the Department of State, because of its diplomatic and messaging role in talking about adversaries and, and posturing our allies for work with us. Uh, the Department of Commerce and its work uh, to stand up space traffic management functions. We've worked very closely with commerce. And as I mentioned it earlier, but we'll talk hopefully a little bit more about it as we get through here. Private industry has become a huge player in space, and we have a lot of interactions with private industry. So those are our key uh, collaborators. And it sounds like with all these collaborations, most of the work is going towards protecting this space infrastructure that has been built up over the years. Um, am I right there? Is it a lot of work in protecting, you know, as you mentioned, it's becoming a critical inf or becoming designated as critical infrastructure. Um, you know, is, is that sort of the work, the main job uh, as you see it? Yeah, I think um it's a huge element and it's hard to get a handle on because it's kind of invisible. And we'll talk about how we think it's important, even though it may not be obvious here. But, you know, in thinking through and working with the Department of Defense, the White House and Congress over the last two or three years, we had a very active debate about the idea for a space force. And we tried to do a lot of declassification of intelligence so that we can inform America and Congress why we were contemplating creating a space force. And Part of what I think mess the message that didn't get across is why America and its citizenry ought to consider space a vital element of their way of life. 
And so the statistics we came up with include the fact that about a quarter of our entire gross domestic product, 25%, all the industries and elements of our economy, a quarter of them rely on space to a degree that may not be known to both the end users or even the industries that have come to rely on space. And so when we talk about what adversaries might be doing to disrupt America's way of life, they are targeting space because they believe it's critical infrastructure. And we have to formalize that in our, in our approach to creating defensive capabilities for not only terrestrial ground infrastructure here on earth, but the stuff we don't see, but are nonetheless relying on, which is our space infrastructure. When you look at how uh, a, a disruption or an attack by an adversary would affect America, if, if you attack space, you take down consumer supply chains, transportation networks and grids, the telecommunications infrastructure, finance, agriculture. It's actually hard to find a sector that's not negatively affected if there's disruptions in space. And so I think before we get into a discussion of what the intelligence role is or why we created a space force, we need to do a better job of educating America on how space has become absolutely vital to our way of life. And then we can talk about what the threats are to that infrastructure. And so I already mentioned, you know, we created um, uh, the United States Space Command and Space Force. In uh, September of 2020, the White House issued Space Policy Directive 5. And it was really the first time we started targeting the intersection between cybersecurity and space systems. So you see your physical infrastructure here on Earth, but you know a lot of the things occurring in space are the extension of the networks that we have here on Earth. And so protecting our space in networks is just as vital as protecting our ground-based networks. Um, on May 13th, I think it was, DHS announced the creation of a Space Systems Critical Infrastructure Working Group. And part of my staff uh, had been working with DHS to get that up and running. We saw direction coming from the White House uh, in terms of maybe formalizing that. And I think there's even been a legislative proposal put forward by a member of Congress to, to legislate that space be declared a formal critical infrastructure. I can't remember how many there are, maybe 16 or 17 sectors of our economy that are designated that way. And part of what the working group is looking at is how to think about that because space cuts across all sectors. And so calling it out as a special uh, element of our infrastructure or creating a way to allow collaboration and information sharing across the sectors is gonna be a key uh, task for that group looking at how to do that. And then, you know, finally, we're, we're very interested in creating norms for uh, appropriate behavior in space. And so it's not just about assuming that there'll be disruptive activities and that we have to defend ourselves, although that is our mission and we do have to do that. We also wanna work with the State Department, our commercial uh, partners, and our allies to create and enforce norms in space. So things like not doing destructive weapon testing in space that creates a large, large amount of debris, that'll be a priority going forward. Um, we saw recently China dropped a large uncontrolled rocket body back down through Earth's atmosphere. And we, we see activities like that as not only harming space, but potentially harming things on Earth. And so we wanna establish norms and rules so that we don't have conflict erupting in space. And so that'll be a, a push, uh, declaring critical infrastructure off limits and treating each other's infrastructure as off limits as part of the norms that we wanna see established. 
As always with new areas of technology, it can be difficult to explain to policymakers, um, you know, when you're an expert like yourself, of the national security implications or the potential uh, threats. I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what those conversations have been like uh, in your discussions with you know, whether it's the White House or Congress about, you know, because first you got to explain what this is and then you got to explain what could go wrong with it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, we, we as average day-to-day citizens, I think most of us have a notion that things are in space that help us. So I, the joke that we always have, and I don't think it's true, but it's claimed to have been true. You know, we were talking to somebody who said, who, who we claimed, or we told, Hey, you know, that phone you use, that iPhone you use, you, you do realize that the way it gives you directions to where you're going is um, it uses GPS, which is up in space. And, you know, they, they claimed, oh, no, they don't, they don't have a need for GPS. They can navigate without it. What we're seeing is that more and more people realize, no, that's a dependency we have on space. And a lot of people have lost the ability to read a map, a paper map without that GPS <laughs> telling them where to go. So we're looking for practical examples when we talk to people. I would tell you that one way that we do explain to seniors and policymakers what they what might be a technical discussion with eyes glazing over is we run war games and we run simulations. And so one way you can do that is what we call the day without space. And I would commend people uh, listening to this podcast, if you go out and do a Google search on U.S. Space Command Day Without Space, you will find that they have produced some videos now in which they talk through what our dependencies are on space systems and what would happen if we lost those. And I think they've done a good job of helping to educate the public uh, on how to do that. When we do have classified war games, for example, we have uh, agencies and leaders come in to talk about what they believe their equities in space are. And then we talk about the threats to those things and what could happen if they come down. And it's usually very, very eye-opening to the extent that most people don't realize how dependent on space we are. And they also don't realize what the threats to those uh, critical systems in space are. So I would refer people also to the DNI's annual threat assessment. Uh, DNI Haynes testified back in April in an open hearing in Congress um, about the intelligence community's view of threats to the United States. And she has a section in there about uh, threats to space-based capabilities. And to summarize what she said, if you'd like to read her comments, you can Google DNI annual threat assessment, and uh, you should see uh, her unclassified statement, both on the DNI website, as well as on congressional committee sites. But what, what she said is that China has space weapons intended to target US and allied satellites. China's already fielded ground-based anti-satellite missiles, which are intended to destroy satellites in low Earth orbit, and they have ground-based lasers that can blind or damage our sensitive space-based optical sensors on our reconnaissance satellites. Um, We continue to monitor the fact that China can launch cyber attacks that at a minimum can cause disruptions to critical infrastructure in the United States, and we talk about how space is linked to our ground-based networks. Russia, on the other hand, continues to train its military space elements um, in order to use anti-satellite weapons to disrupt and degrade U.S. and allied space capabilities. Russia is also developing testing and plans to field an array of space weapons, including jammers, cyberspace capabilities, directed energy weapons, and satellites that can fire weapons at other satellites. They also have ground-based missiles that can target us and our allies. And so 
Those are threats we've talked about publicly. We produce those public reports to inform not only our policymaking community, but the general public that you are you have very much dependent on things in space and those things are in the adversary's bullseye. The other thing that doesn't get talked out a lot about, um, but we'd like to draw attention to is the fact that um, our adversaries are hoping to take advantage of America's innovation and entrepreneurial culture. And so we talked about our commercial space activities and they are targeting those too, uh, not just because they believe commercial space systems will be used by the government should we ever have a conflict, but they're also targeting them because of the rapid advances our commercial space industry has been making. So the theft of intellectual property and the desire to illicitly export that uh, technical capabilities that our commercial firms are making is uh, a threat to our homeland. And so we are continuing to advise companies to be on the lookout be careful who you are talking to and cutting deals with for financial reasons and be careful where you are exporting technology. There's a lot of rules and regulations out there. We're worried that some small companies may be targeted who are not well versed in the rules and maybe don't have compliance departments uh, staffed with lawyers in order to monitor those things. So those are, those are some of the key issues with regard to our technology, how we're vulnerable and what we're doing uh, to inform people about the threats. Yeah, and on the you know the amount of private companies now that are in the space game, that some of them are larger companies who are just getting into it. Some of them are, like you mentioned, those small private companies that might have a specialty. Uh, what is the IC doing to kind of keep an eye on things, but also you don't want to you know you don't want to hinder that success that the commercial space industry has had, but at the same time you want to be safe because what they're doing is very very uh, dangerous if it's in the wrong hands, so to speak. Yeah, Eric, that's a, that's a huge issue. Um, and we're frankly grappling, trying to figure out how to do that. There's a delicate balance to be struck. And sometimes we go too far one way or too far the other. I would tell you that in the past, I think the national security community has um, been afraid of developments in space and what commercial industry is doing. And so there was a mindset of needing to put restrictions on commercial licensing for space operations because it may harm not only our equities in space, but what we're doing on the ground. And so the idea of being observed from space, that's something the United States uh, figured out very early on was a game changer for us. And so I would argue from the 1950s forward, we tried to create and maintain a monopoly on reconnaissance from space. And so you know, we're very proud in the intelligence community of the role the NRO plays. The NRO is the nation's eyes and ears in space. And so we've been putting reconnaissance satellites up for many, many decades that provide the president, the policymaking community, the military, our diplomats, and others very, very critical um, uh, information about what our adversaries are up to. And now we've got commercial firms that are putting up very sophisticated technical capabilities that kind of mirror what we've had a monopoly on for many, many decades. So I think the presumption in many quarters of the national security community has been to use the regulation and licensing regime to put restrictions on that. Here's the problem. Um, you're restricting American industry who are looking for licenses at the same time that foreign commercial firms are becoming more capable every day. And so um, we're tracking the development of commercial capabilities in foreign countries, which are available not just to our adversaries, but anybody. And those are putting competitive pressure on our domestic commercial providers and making us realize that putting additional restrictions on our own American flag firms no longer makes a lot of sense. 
And so my staff was very intimately involved with the Department of Commerce and NOAA in the recent rule change that was promulgated. And we are working with our community to make sure that we are minimal in our restrictions. Only very, very significant national security equities would cause us to want to put a restriction or a constraint on an American uh, commercial space firm. If you look at the trends, I mean, they're really, it's, it's both um, an opportunity and a challenge. The opportunity is they're creating technical capabilities, which we in the intelligence community can imagine taking full advantage of. And so we've got to both harness Americans' entrepreneurial spirit and the game-changing developments that are underway in the commercial industry, while also protecting our national security equities and making sure something inadvertently doesn't harm our ability to protect the nation and inform our leaders. So it's a pendulum swing. Uh, we're doing everything we can to lighten the load regulation-wise on industry. We don't want to restrict firms, uh, who, especially who are now starting to face commercial uh, competitors in foreign markets. But it's a game changer for us to adapt to because, like I said, we've had a monopoly for many decades. And if you look at the explosive growth in commercial space over the last few years, I mean, just to cite an example, Elon Musk was not a satellite owner three years ago. And he now operates the largest fleet of satellites the world has ever known. Um, we're anticipating uh, more satellites be launched in the next three to five years than in all the history of the space age put together. And so we're going to have a very congested, competitive environment up there with amazing technical accomplishments, but also a lot of foreign desire to be a part of that. And so we're, we created the IC, the Intelligence Community Commercial Space Council that just happened in the last six months. And we're very proud of the fact that we put the agency's leaders together and we decided we needed to make some changes. We needed to look at how to both enhance ourselves by taking advantage of those capabilities that, that commercial firms are producing. And we've begun the work, to, the hard work to figure out how we continue to do our mission and serve our uh, policy community if we are under observation from space, which is increasingly true, not just from commercial providers, but from foreign uh, adversaries and their commercial providers. So we're adapting to the new change. We're watching the uh, de technical developments taking place in space with great interest. And we've created this council to help us uh, understand and make decisions in order to adapt to that. Yeah, and I'm just curious, what is what has the relationship been like with these uh, commercial space companies? Obviously, I'm sure that they see the risk. You know, they're not they're in this game. They know what the risks are. Um, but as far as you all coming in and saying, look, you know, we, we may have to watch out for this area, or you know, you've got a foreign competitor here, you got to worry about. Um, have they been mostly receptive, and have they been willing to kind of go back and forth with you? We've had great, great relations with commercial firms, and it only has gotten better over the last couple of years. There's widespread recognition and feedback coming to us that our role in helping uh, loosen the commercial remote sensing rule and removing some of the previous restrictions that were in the rule implementation prior to a year ago, uh, that the IC has been moving out very significantly in support of lessening those restrictions. And we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from industry across the board. We've also been very instrumental in working directly with industry to look for opportunities to take advantage. Um, we have study contracts with a lot of commercial firms who are developing and, and showing us very cool, innovative ideas, and we're trying to figure out how to integrate those things. And we are doing the best we can to inform commercial uh, industry about threats to them. So one of my staff is working with Homeland Security. There is a new ISAC information sharing and analysis center that has stood up. 
those and other things are things that we're going to be providing as much information back to industry as we can. So we're taking advantage of their innovative developments. We're trying to reduce the regula uh, regulatory and restrictive burdens on them to produce their capabilities, sharing information with them. And when we get it, and we're trying to get some of them to get security clearances so we can talk a little bit more specifically about some of the specific threats to them. We're doing all that and we're getting very positive feedback. We, uh, we anticipate probably creating a user advisory group of commercial firms or their associations that can talk to us more frequently about their concerns. We would have had a, uh, a very significant conference where we invited them to come in and come to our campus and talk to us and hear some of our briefings. And unfortunately, COVID kept that from happening in, in person. We have some restrictions on being able to use unclassified technology such as you and I are talking on right now. And so to be able to bring them in and start having our in-person meetings is a goal of ours going forward. I'm very, very gratified for the opportunity to start talking to people about what we do. The, the nation has relied on the intelligence community for its eyes and ears in space, and that's been going on for decades. And, and whether people realize it or not, often the intelligence we collect from space is some of the most vital information that gets to our national decision makers. Um, we watch and we listen. We try to stay ahead of our adversaries. It's a mission that we usually perform quietly and in the dark, literally, sometimes. Um, but because of the interest in space and getting the message out about how vital it is to America's way of life, it's important that people understand that the intelligence community is a, an operator in space. We provide critical intelligence to our nation's leaders and they use that to increasingly uh, promote awareness of how America and its way of life depends on space. And so space is a huge national priority. We're grateful to be a part of the discussion and deliberations on it. And hopefully people understand a little bit more now about how the intelligence community is a player in space and why things like the Space Force are important to protecting America's way of life. J.P. Parker is space executive for the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Up next, we'll talk to another sector of the intelligence community that relies even more on space. I'm Eric White. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.